0: and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumpster, and today we're going to be talking with Dave Weisbeck, who you may recall was just here, but the conversation was so good we wanted to carry it into another half hour. Dave, take a moment and introduce yourself, please.
1: Happy to. Thanks, John. Uh, And uh, hello, everyone. Or hello again, I guess is the better way to put it. Uh, So Dave Weisbeck, I'm Chief Strategy Officer at Vizier. My favorite joke is always that you know, nobody knows exactly what a chief strategy officer does. It means I get to do whatever I want, and nobody can tell me I'm not exactly on task. Uh, but the, the truth of the matter is what I really focus on this year is being, taking the responsibility for where we need to take the business, you know, thinking about it from an internal perspective, really externally think about all the challenges that we face as a market, trying to make sense of all of the data that we have, the, the massive amount of exhaust on the systems we put in place, and that exhausted data, data. How do we use that and bring better evidence to the decisions that we make about people? So it's my job to try to think that through, understand where the world's going, the market's going, HR's going, businesses are going, and then translate that into how we can help um, from an organizational perspective to come in and, and make your business better. Uh, and so it makes it a really fun yeah, job. I've been doing that for about 10 years now.
0: So it's it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm jealous. What a great job. And we haven't mentioned the company you work for, Vizier. So so just a couple of bullet points about Vizier, um, and then we'll get on.
1: Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned, I've been doing this for 10 years, and so Vizier also happens to be 10 years. Actually, we actually had our 10-year anniversary this last May. Uh, and the background of who we are in terms of people who built the company all comes deep within the analytics world, so that's our passion, and that's really what Vizier does. Take the data that you have from all of these different systems, and I always caution people we think about the traditional applications we we deploy in HR as the systems of data on people. But the reality is there's a much broader set. you know it can be anything from your your customer relationship or CRM systems that tells you about people, it might be your salespeople, but it tells you about your people. We try to bring all of that data together and be that single source of, of, of truth for you to be able to make better decisions as you're trying to figure out, you know, how do we increase our diversity or how do we keep people that we desperately don't want to lose or how do we improve the quality of our hiring and everything else across the employee lifecycle. We try to help you to answer those questions you know, better, faster, easier.
0: That's that's interesting. Is there is there any data that you can think of in the company that isn't can't be seen as information about people? Um I mean, seems, seems, it seems yeah. like it all is.
1: Yeah, I, I've thought about that one before actually. Um and I I guess you you have to twist yourselves a little bit in knots to, to for some of it to be included as people data. We 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 get some systems data, machines collect data. That's probably the first category I think of, oh, it's not really pe- that, so people data. So sensors we put in place that might collect data. Is your core you know, financial, is your general ledger? i oh, sure there's people data in there. Um, in fact, probably a lot of your contingent workforce is better trapped in there than it is in your core ACM. So, so it, 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 I, I always advocate for a more expansive view of what is people data uh, because it helps us to connect it to the business. Uh, And a lot of these uh, systems that the rest of the business gets really fixated on and, you know, goes, talks to vendors and deploys and has big projects around, they hold a piece of the puzzle of people data. And if you can connect to those, you can connect the decisions that we're making around, you know, putting in place, whether it's an engagement program or, you know, a learning and development program, to what is the impact it has uh, from a cost perspective or a revenue perspective and so I think I think that is that that is a place we need to continue to advance from a people analytics is connect to those business outcomes.
0: So there's a recent um, MIT Technology Review article about people analytics. That's a review of a book um, that purports to have the real angle on when people analytics got started. Have you had time to think about? about the article and, and its critique of the discipline?
1: Yeah, I, I guess I uh, – uh, the easy answer to that is yes, um, in part because I, I've been thinking about these questions for a very long time. I, in fact, I have a very common set of questions that come up that relate to people analytics and, you know, ideas of Big Brother um, Privacy is a, is a hot topic. Uh, certainly, with what happened in Europe some time ago, and that got organizations to wake up because they heard four letters, GDPR, and realized they had to look at things differently. And now we've got a new set of four letters, CCPA, you know, the California Act around um, privacy. And so privacy, you know, factors into this. Big Brother notions factor into this. Um, But I always have a a favorite way to talk about this that is always about um, the use of data on people, people analytics, just generally speaking, as as evidence. And the reason I relate that is very often at the root of people's concerns or worries is this idea that the machines are going to make the decisions for them and that, that we will lose the human. And I don't, I don't ascribe to that. I don't see that as our, our future. Some decisions can be automated because it's, you know, we've got systems and you know, package delivery in an Amazon delivery warehouse can be routed with an automated decision. We don't really even think of that as analytics, but the package goes down the left chain and that left chain leads to, you know, the workers who load things into trucks to go, you know, to this location. But I don't see us getting uh, there for decisions, for example, with hiring. I think we have to bring together lots of evidence. And data is one of the best sources of evidence. And I always relate this in terms of something we're all familiar with. And that is, you know, the crime shows we watch on TV. And you know, our law and orders and our CSIs. We're really building a case. And... You know, the, the the wonderful stuff that we see that's kind of more science-based and we've got the genetics and the DNA and we've got, you know, the fingerprints. That stuff is great and it's wonderful, but it doesn't exist, you know, solely in isolation from what was the witness, what's the backstory, what's the motivation, what else has happened. It's softer, more qualitative, more human. Um, and so I see that the same way about people analytics. We should bring... The human aspect, we should bring the data aspect, we bring it all together, we make better decisions. And it doesn't, it's, it doesn't, when you do that, I think the concerns about Big Brother or how it will be used appropriately
0: or not, um, I think those dissipate. That's interesting. So the, the article raises a ton of questions about the ethics of people analytics. And you talked about privacy, that's important. Uh, but there's sort of the world of unintended consequences where um, you know it 's true throughout throughout the scientific world that the act of measuring something changes it, um, and uh, one of the questions that I end up having is how does a, a constant measurement environment affect the people who are inside of that constant measurement environment What, what are you thinking about ethics in data beyond privacy?
1: yeah so the the act of measuring it
0: you know changes something uh is uh
1: is heisenberg so I'll, so shout out to those who love uh, quantum mechanics uh all three of
0: you the um, or breaking and I, and bad that or it. breaking bad yeah, yeah
1: fair enough. um they um it, it is very true right you know economists talk about this um when you think about government policy. Um, and yes, we think about that when, when we bring that back to the worlds that you know, all of us are care about, when we think about policies that were put in place around people, so you know, some of the HR programs we put in place. I mean, we can, we can point to one of the you know, near-term examples of, of a, an approach that's being disrupted, and some would maybe argue has already been disrupted, and that's the performance reviews. You know, we, we go back to some of the earlier days, and you know, organizations like SuccessFactors, you know, championing a methodology, and now we're turning that on its head, because it's what you start to see is, of course, is is you know the the gaming of such systems uh, is one aspect that you start to see when people say, okay, this is exactly how you're going to be measured, uh, then people will find ways to make certain that they can optimize their measure rather than, you know, the spirit of what they're trying to do. Um, And even before that, we've had quota systems in sales teams for, you know, forever, you know, uh, figuratively speaking. Um, And so it's a very common thing that sales organizations um, or sales individuals figuring out all of the mechanics and how to optimize their quota rather than what you're really trying to do is incent the right behavior. So I think in that regard, you know, this isn't new. Uh, and, you know, we always have to be diligent about the the unintended consequence that comes from that measurement. Um, but I always turn it to the other way and, and ask it the deeper question, which is you've got two choices. You've got a very simplistic world of two choices. You have a I think I feel or you have I have data. And it becomes a choice of I, I will dismiss the world of data because of these other consequences or I'll go to a world where I'd have none of that and I have to go purely on gut instinct and feel. And I would much rather be in a world where we bring greater evidence, more evidence than less. And so it's always a really, at my, my way I always try to simplify it down is we have a very simple choice. And it's it's better to not be blind than it is to when it comes to using information to make decisions.
0: Okay, we could go we could go a long way with that, but I instead I'm gonna bring us back to, to to sort of the point of the conversation, and that's that's we talked a lot the last time about COVID and and related things. My guess is that is that you are learning a ton, and so I'm very interested about the the product pipeline and what you think is coming as the uh, uh, flagship company in the people analytics business. What what are your next what are your next issues and what's coming down the road?
1: Yeah, um, I I mean it's interesting because we we our approach as a company is to say we care about, uh, you know, we're a a technology company. So to be clear, we're a software company, we're a technology company, we provide cloud solutions for organizations. Um, But one of our beliefs has been the whole notion of software as a service is a wonderful transition to a better way for all of us to get access to, you know, some pretty fantastic technology. But the last S, software as a service kind of always seems to be the one that gets uh, under-delivered, uh, doesn't get explored enough, it gets you know, over-promised and you know, under-delivered. And so what do I mean by that? In our case, when you think about analytics, it's very easy to put a bunch of tools in, you know, in some, you know, somebody else's data center, you know, the vendor's data center and say, ha, oh, it's you know, analytics in the cloud. But ultimately what we're trying to do is answer questions. That's, that's our goal. We're trying to figure out you know, the answer to deeper and deeper sets of questions about our people so we can make better decisions to advance the business, to help them advance their careers and, and the like. And so the point of all of that, we advance our technology, and that's half of where we put our energy, and then we try to advance the sets of questions that we can answer and literally deliver them as questions. So we're always advancing what is the latest state-of-the-art types of questions. Um, and so that means we got to stay really close to, you know, what are the questions that people are asking? What are they trying to figure out? And certainly one of the things that, that even connecting to the the last little conversation we have, a giant question that people are asking now is to try to get a better insight into diversity. In particular, as the little phrase I always love is inclusion is what we strive for. Diversity is what we measure. And so that is, that is a huge area of topic, and to connect it to our last conversation, I think it's a good example where you'd, you'd rather not be blind. You'd rather know where you're at. You'd rather know if you've got bias or unconscious bias in terms of if the types of questions that are, um, or the types of behaviors that are happening inside your organization. And it's an example of where I think data can have a positive uh, change to the world. Um, and so that's a, right now, that's a big fixation of ours is how do we start to tease out? Uh, it's very easy to measure all of the, the cuts of data and understand from a gender, from an ethnicity, you know, from a disability, from a veteran's. There's lots of cuts of how we might want to think about age, uh, of diversity, and then the, the multitude of ways we want to measure it. But how do we start to, to peel back inclusion? And inclusion is often answered in terms of I feel, but how can we start to tease out, are you actually included? And so one of the things that we have uh, as an example of this is, is uh, a hypothesis tester is what we call it, overly fancy name for, uh, I'll give you an example of, of how it works. When you do hiring, the, the, the question, the big question, right, is, if my interviewers are more diverse, do you get more diverse uh, hires at the end? And uh, no you know, implications of bias, except perhaps unconscious bias. But if you have more diverse interviewers, do you, um, and you apply them to a you know, nicely diverse candidate pool, do you get different outcomes if you have less or more diverse interviewers? And so that's a hypothesis. Aha, I bet you, you know, the, the, the thought is, I bet you we'll get more diverse hires if we have more diverse um, interviewers. And so now how do you structure that in a way that you can tease that out and look for those patterns in the data in an intuitive way that allows you to see the streams that people follow? They follow the stream of going through these intersets of interviewers. They follow the streams that goes through those. Where does that lead to in terms of an outcome? Um, and so that, that type of, of notion um, uh, is a difficult one when we think about the data and the structure of the data and the movements of, of people through, through processes. But it's a, t- it's a good example where we try to put the technology together with also the, you know, the, the questions that matter and are important that people you know, either are trying to answer or should be trying to answer. And so that's, that's one area we're trying to
0: continue to push forward. What's what's an example of a question people should be trying to answer? Um,
1: well, there's there's where I mean the the wonderful thing about people analytics is it's so massively diverse, um, and and you always go end up going back to the employee life cycle uh, because it's you know it's a nice framework to try to cut this apart. I, I think we should be trying to answer quality of hire questions more deeply than we are today if we go to the you know the front end um, and, you know but we can't do so without without starting to look at not what happens after the hire are is this person promoted Are they do they you know are they getting salary increases what what is their performance reviews um, and then to track it back into, you know, where did we source them from? Where did who who did the evaluation and you know and who did the interviewing to say this would be a great person to hire? And that's a way that you can optimize, you know, the the talent in your organization. But we often look at these things in in stovepipes and silos, and so we can look at you know data in our ATS, but we can't connect it to you know the other systems and data. And so those more complicated questions become difficult for us to answer. Um, um, but ultimately. I still advocate that, you know, where is this all pushing? Where is this all leading? Um, I, I think a lot of people invest in people analytics or make choices that is simplistic in the sense that that is a cost-based analysis. So they're thinking, what is the size of my team? How many people? What's the cost of the solution? Um, uh, you, know, it, you know, can I consolidate vendors? Uh, and I think that's you know that's not a good business case for you know the advancement of people analytics in, in an organization. Most people think about it in terms of what are the what are the people direct people, things we are passionate about in HR outcomes. You know can I advance my retention? Can I improve my hiring can Can I understand the you know the learning programs we have in place and you know where we've got the right coverage? Um, you know, and we've got the right programs in place. So we think about it in those terms, but where it's ultimately going, more of the peak of the pyramid, is we have to connect those decisions to, and how does that advance the business forward? And one of my favorite little rants on this one is engagement, because we very often, everybody does engagement. Everybody tries to measure engagement. You know, it feels like you can't be a CHRO, at least in a sizable organization, without bringing to your board or your leadership team where are we with engagement? And everybody has to have a number and know their number. Um, but what we, we invariably don't do, we just believe, and we don't try to directly answer and connect it, is what is, the, what is the effect of engagement, even as it relates to simpler questions, like what is, if we move up our engagement by five points, what would be the outcome we would expect in retention? Would it actually make a difference to keeping the talent that matters to us? And then you can go further and say, um, we just accept, without ever trying to, to see what our own individual answer is as an organization, if engagement increases by 10 points, what will that mean in terms of our productivity? Do we have at least a point of view on that? We don't have to have the perfect scientific, you know, written paper that's been peer-reviewed and all of the other, you know, I's dotted and T's crossed, but at least have a, a you know, a model that says if we increase it by 10 points, we will get this much productivity, which will lead to this much, you know, and then what is your business outcome? Is it employee, is it, sorry, customer satisfaction or is it revenue or what is it that, you know, that matters to your business? We still have to connect those things that we are doing in terms of our people and the decisions that have a, have a a HR program impact to a business strategy impact. And that's where we continue to push as Vizier. And I think we have to continue to push as an industry
0: thats that's that's interesting that 's interesting so so i 'm thinking a lot about the changes that we 've experienced over the last six or eight months, and imagining that h r is going to have a increased focus on health and safety um, and much of what you talked about sort of assumes health and safety at the core um, i wonder I wonder if you can imagine. Um health and safety being the fundamental things that are the foundation of all other measures. Do you think there's a role for health and safety in your view of the future?
1: Yeah, so, so health and safety where we see it predominantly today is, you know, um organizations, industries actually, um you know, we can go straight to industries, that ha- you know, put workers at more at more risk. So that they They've had the leading edge, right? So uh, oil industry, uh, oil and gas, you certainly see that, um, you know, it's quite dangerous work. Uh, we also see it in, in uh, some public sector places, particularly cities. you got road crews, um, you know, maintenance, you know, sanitary, these things can be dangerous work um, to say nothing of, you know, fire, police and et cetera. And so they've kind of you know led the way with some you know good standards in terms of some of the data as well, so that we can start to start to you know look across and, and bring data together, um, you know, so that we can start to compare and contrast. We're huge advocates of benchmarks. Um, you know, we would take our 10 million or so employees that we we would count in our across our customer base and you know try to try to give relative comparisons. But the point is there is the the you know that's that's the in the leading edge. What we saw actually starting in March was suddenly uh, this explosion of people trying to answer questions that related now, of course, from a COVID perspective and trying to understand exposure and risk. Um, and I think that's a, that's a, that's a nice evolution of, of, of the health and safety is not to look at it from an incident perspective. And so looking backwards from an incident perspective, perspective and saying okay obviously there's something you know at this site or location or the nature of this work that we need to put in place as a corrective action but now can we start to try to figure out how to model risk and exposure um and so that that's a nice evolution to try to get ahead of the curve um how prevalent will that be in the future That's a really tricky question. I mean, and I think goes to the heart of questions we're all asking right now: was around what is the new normal going to look like? You know, will we be more of us be working from home? Most certainly. Um, Will, will you know the? There's some wonderful stories of uh, 1918 uh, influenza uh, uh, from uh, the Spanish flu, right? As we as we was somewhat misnomered. The, and, and some of the social norms that changed. I mean, what are those social norms? What are those work norms that will also change? And will health and safety rise up? I'm, I, I, I don't know, actually. I suspect we will see uh, you know, changes in the work environment, certainly. How, how prevalent health and safety will be as part of that. I think wellness and well-being um, are, are going to be big topics, because we've all been so disrupted, we've all had such a shock to the system that we are going to care about that because we will, we will quickly understand that that has an impact on our overall productivity. And so I think we'll see a rise coming from that angle. Um, how much will stick though? Maybe a little bit
0: of everyone's guess. Uh, well, another, another place where we could have a very long conversation. So last thing, Last thing, what's changing that you didn't expect? You're the strategy guy. You've been doing it for 10 years. What surprised you in the last year or so?
1: Yeah, the surprise is um, there, there's some wonderful expressions that, you know, talk about change. And one of my favorites is this idea that, um, that the, the time frame of change um, and that in a year things change, you know, much more than you would expect but in a shorter time frame, So in a week, you know, in a week or a month, things don't change as, as much as you would like, but in a year they change way more than you would expect. Um, and so uh, I think that is going to hold true here as we look at, um, you know, what's happening now. Um, the other one is that in terms of change that I always love is this idea that, you know, change changes is happens slowly and gradually until it doesn't. Uh, and, uh, there's this wonderful notion that even change in, you know, in, in the world of nature uh, most often happens in what is known as a punctuated equilibrium, a really fancy term I've always loved, that just basically says everything kind of goes along in this constant state of change. And then there's a giant punch to the face. You know, it's a comet. It's a, you know, it's, it's a pandemic. Um, and we're clearly in uh, 2020 is going to stand as the, the biggest punch to the face kind of change, the biggest punctuation to our, our to our equilibrium. Um, and so, I, you know, what what will we see? We are going to see uh, changes on diversity at a at a pace and a rate that we did not expect. The you know, we are going to inspect it. We're going to demand change that uh, I didn't see. We've been on this constant change of improvement for forever, it seems, it's been slope, and it's been glacial. And uh, and now we've had a, you know, we've had a wake up um, and we will see change much faster. I think we've seen that in terms of the nature of work. When you read the, the you know, those who do the deep research and, and think deeply about the changing nature of work, everything they've been saying is, is, I think, been shown to be the path that we are on, but it's been glacial. So the, the idea that we need to form teams more dynamically, that work has been is less task oriented And what are the consequences of that? Well, now with us all being distributed and us having to make a rapid transition to be digital organizations um, because we had no choice, those now are going to accelerate those changes in the nature of work so that we are, um, we are less, less beholden to the traditional organizational structures and more, and we're going to have to get way better at measuring how do virtual teams, how does cross-departmental virtual teams that spin up, do work, spin down and dissipate, how do you measure the effectiveness of that? And to me, that's, one of, that's a really profound question around that gets to the heart of the nature of work changing and the reality of the way modern work is done, and then challenges the fact that none of our systems are designed for this. The, the org structure we hold in the core HRIS doesn't have a notion of the idea that we form teams this way. Performance reviews... Engagement measures the individual against the organization at large. It doesn't measure the person with the teams that they interact with. And so we have all of these gaps and we're going to have to radically change about how we start to think about measuring the new form of work.
0: Well, that's a, that's a healthy agenda. It looks like you'll be at the strategy job for another 10 years. Um, <laughs> thanks for taking the time to do this. Thing. <laughs> that, that was, that was a great answer. Um, Why don't you take a moment, reintroduce yourself, and tell people how they might get a hold of you.
1: Yeah, uh, Dave Weisbeck, Chief Strategy Officer at Vizier. The simplest is uh, dave.weisbeck at vizier.com. Vizier, V-I-S-I-E-R. If you don't know Vizier, you should, because we're the the leader in people analytics, whether it's by customers or breadth of solution. Um, uh, To tutor our own home, yeah, we're the best. So we'd love to have a conversation about how we could help your organization.
0: Fantastic. Thanks again for doing this. Uh, you've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations, and we've been talking with Dave Weisbeck, who is the Senior Vice President of, uh, let's see what's the title in here. I lost it. Anyhow, Dave runs strategy for Vizier, and is a guy you should be paying attention to. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you back here next week. Bye-bye now.